welcome. My name is Mike Duran. I'm the director for peace and security in the Middle East at the Hudson Institute. And today we're hosting an event on the Azerbaijani-Armenian peace negotiations, getting a status update. Uh, I have an outstanding panel of two, uh, beginning with the foreign policy advisor to the first vice president of Azerbaijan, Elchin Amrabayov. He's a, a very experienced um, ambassador holding multiple postings in uh, uh, in Europe, and he's just come back, I understand, from a trip to uh, to Ireland. We look forward to getting an update on the state of play in um, uh, in in Europe. Elchin, welcome. Thank you. Have you. Thank you for having me, and uh, I would like to thank Hudson Institute for the interest. Um, thank you, and uh, I'm also joined by my colleague, uh, senior fellow Luke Coffey, uh, new to Hudson, but already making a big uh, impact here. Luke, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mike. I, it's great to be here. And it's been about eight months now, so uh, I'm still kind of new, but not too new. You're, you came uh, you came several years after me, so you'll always be new. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let me start with you, um, uh, Ambassador Amrabayov. Can you just give us a sort of general uh, a, a general status update as to where, from your point of view in Baku, the negotiations stand between um, Azerbaijan and Armenia? I just read in the uh, actually in the Azerbaijani press that uh, there's a that we we may be uh, at the start of a new stage. Is that true? Uh, if not, where where do things stand? Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, well, uh, to cut it short, I think that uh, we are witnessing a period of uh, a pause, basically, in the peace process because uh, there has non uh, uh, there has never been any meetings uh, uh, between Armenians and Azerbaijanis since last November. Uh, the last time uh, two negotiation teams led by foreign ministers met in uh, Washington D.C. in early November. And ever since, we uh, basically uh, were not together talking about uh, peace uh, uh, for a simple reason that Armenia chose uh, to uh, shy away uh, from uh, three consecutive opportunities to show up and to talk about different aspects of peace process. But generally speaking, peace process started immediately right after the end of the Second Karabakh War, which opposed Armenia to Azerbaijan and which was brought to an end you know, in November 2020. So, uh, yes, we also would like to believe that uh, very soon this uh, uh, peace process, which has been put on a standstill, will be resumed. And uh, we are uh, expecting in the days to come uh, some developments in this regard. And hopefully they will be able to relaunch the process which Azerbaijan considers to be crucial not only for the relations between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia, but for a broader region of South Caucasus, uh, which uh, is of geostrategic importance uh, because it is located between East and West, between Asia and Europe. So hopefully uh, very soon we'll, uh, we'll have, have some good news on that. Let me uh, let me follow up on a couple of things there. You 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 dropped a couple of little uh, tantalizing tidbits uh, here. Uh, uh, first of all, you said we're looking forward in the next few days. Can you uh, can you tell us the secrets? What's happening behind the scenes that makes you think there's some movement in the next few days? Well, basically, uh, in the last several weeks or months, there has been consistent effort uh, by uh, those whom we consider to be facilitators by the European Union, the United States, other interested parties to uh, make sure that the negotiations or the peace process is uh, reanimated. Because in the absence of uh, talks between Armenia and Azerbaijan, the situation on the ground uh, you know, is, uh, is already very precarious, but it can, uh, can get even worse. So uh, I can tell you without disclosing probably some of the concrete arrangements, but I can tell you that there has been uh, an attempt uh, also uh, coming from uh, the United States, but also from the European Union, to make sure that, that uh, you know, an opportunities uh, could be seized very soon so that the leaders uh, could see each other. Because last time they met was on the 30, it was in October in Prague last year. And before that, it was in, uh, in, in Brussels. Uh, and here I would like to underline uh, the role of the European Union. Uh, which has uh, 
played a visible role of a facilitator between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and also the efforts uh, by the United States government. As I mentioned, uh, it was thanks to the uh, uh, engagement of the U.S. government at, uh, at a very high level that in November uh, 2022, uh, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijani delegations were uh, hosted uh, in, White House, uh, in, in Blair House in order to continue their work on the uh, draft of the peace agreement. Uh, which was, uh, you know, prepared by Azerbaijan and presented to Armenia, so that uh, we could uh, uh, elaborate it, agree on it, and sign it, and thus uh, turn a page and try to uh, uh, speak more concretely about normalization of relations between the two countries. And these relations have been plagued by decades of animosity, rivalry, and confrontation. We have had two wars. Uh, the first one in the early 90s, and the, the second one uh, took place in 2020. So uh, tens of thousands of killed on both sides, you know, hundreds of thousands of people displaced. Uh, Azerbaijan alone, you know, has about 1 million of IDPs, internally displaced persons and refugees. So this is the time in the view of Baku, of Azerbaijan, to finally put an end uh, to this confrontation and to use the potential for peace in the region so that uh, these nations could become good neighbors. So the other uh, little tantalizing tidbit you dropped was the date. You said there haven't been any uh, any meetings uh, between the leaders since last um, October, November. Um, does that uh, coincide with the arrival of uh, uh, Ruben Vardanyan in, uh, in uh, Karabakh? Um, uh, and uh, should I should I see a connection there uh, to the change in, in Armenian policy to his arrival, or am I drawing too many conclusions? Well, I think that, uh, uh, to be frank, uh, uh, there has been a perception in Azerbaijan that while Armenia physically participated in different rounds of talks on different subjects within the peace process, uh, we could not uh, basically be sure about the sincerity and the genuine nature of their engagement. Because in our uh, perception, uh, there was an attempt to stall uh, and uh, negotiation process and to play with time. Uh, but at least they showed up and at least they participated in different uh, rounds of negotiations. Uh, but uh, you're right, the uh, latest, uh, 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 let's say, uh, latest uh, gain of tension uh, took place or coincided uh, with uh, November arrival or uh, implantation, I would say, of uh, Mr. Vartanyan uh, into uh, the areas of Karabakh region of Azerbaijan, where Russian peacekeeping contingent is temporarily deployed. Of course, his uh, impact uh, on the overall situation has been toxic. Uh, he is known as an oligarch who made his... Uh, uh, fortune uh, in Russia uh, with some very murky uh, schemes. Uh, in some countries like Ukraine, he is under sanctions uh, for uh, some illegal activities. So that's why, uh, of course, he cannot be considered as someone who is contributing to the overall improvement of the environment of peace process, but rather the other way around. So uh, he could be considered as a spoiler element which basically uh, was parachuted in order not to allow for some uh, good uh, nascent signs for rapprochement between central authorities of Azerbaijan and local Armenian population in Karabakh to take place. Uh, but I don't think that uh, that is the only reason. Uh, uh, of course, that is, uh, uh, that is the uh, explanation of why we have, uh, uh, you know, this tense situation in the so-called Lachin Road, uh, which links basically Armenia to Karabakh region of Azerbaijan, because with his arrival, we have noticed intensification of illegal activities in the region, including, uh, you know, the in intensified attempts to uh, export um, mineral resources of Azerbaijan uh, through plundering them into Armenia. And of course, it was a pure provocation because, I mean, uh, it was clear that being a sovereign part of Azerbaijan and recognized as such by international community, 
this could not have uh, had any other reaction from you know Azerbaijan, be it society or the government, than to protest against it. But uh, in general, uh, I think that uh, today we are in a situation when uh, the whole process is a kind of drifting away from you know peace perspective to a new uh, confrontation. And it's a very dangerous situation and Azerbaijan makes everything possible uh, for this scenario not to take place. Uh, thanks. I will, I'm going to come back to you uh, uh, again later on the role of Mr. Vardanyan and uh, some of the tensions on the Lichen Road. But let's go now to, to Luke. And Luke, can you uh, give us your perspective um, on uh, the uh, interest of the United States in the resolution of this issue and your uh, sense of where the um, where the policy currently stands? Thanks, uh, Mike and Elchin. It's good to see you here um, virtually. Uh, it's in America's interest that there's peace and stability brought to the South Caucasus. This isn't just limited to uh, the situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan and the ongoing uh, tensions and the Russian peacekeeping presence in Karabakh. This also applies equally to the situation in Georgia uh, with the ongoing Russian occupation in uh, in Shkin Valley region in Abkhazia, uh, and it it it's in America's interest to play a more active role in trying to resolve some of these longstanding conflicts. Uh, now Elchin was being very um, I would say uh, polite and, and generous to the praise he's given to the U.S. Uh, to the Biden administration on their role their recent role in um, uh, trying to facilitate dialogue and peace talks. And you have to give give credit uh, to the White House to a certain extent because they have been playing more of an active role. And crucially, they've been playing more of an active role since Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, which at least shows that someone in the White House is connecting the dots. Uh, so I'll give them credit for that. But Can why I, is, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, I, I, sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, but let me ask you to connect the dots between Ukraine and uh, and Azerbaijan, just so the just so that our viewers can uh, can can follow along the argument you're making here. Yeah, but to, uh, real quickly to finish that finish that point, why isn't Secretary Blinken on a plane to Armenia and to Azerbaijan meeting in the region in person? The last U.S. Secretary of State to visit either country was Hillary Clinton in 2012, more than a decade ago. Wow. Uh, but, but on, on why, um, you know, how these dots are connected, well, it's it's clear that, you know, as Russia's three-day war enters its second year, uh, Russian influence uh, around the region in the South Caucasus and Central Asia is on the decline. And there's an opportunity uh, here for, for, for Europe, for the United States, uh, for Turkey. There's also opportunities for China and India. Uh, to scramble to fill this vacuum that's been created by waning Russian influence. And the United States needs to play a more active role in shaping its policies and its vision for this very important region of the world. So I, I think someone in the administration has recognized Russia's uh, waning influence in the South Caucasus because of the way the war in Ukraine has turned out. And that's why we have recently seen this increase in diplomatic activity uh, by by Washington and and of course by Brussels. And really, the EU is is you know between the two or the EU is leading uh, this this effort. Uh, but it seems like in the same way we do just enough for Ukraine to make sure that they don't lose but don't win. I feel like with uh, you know the situation over Karabakh and uh, the re the normalization of relations between Armenia and Azerbaijan, we do just enough to kind of like stay in the game, but not not enough to get it across the finish line. And, and I think it's in, uh, you know, all sides, the Armenians, the Azerbaijanis, uh, I, I think there is a, a genuine recognition that the only way forward for the region is normalization and peace and stability. Uh, Luke, let, let's uh, let's uh, imagine that you're having the proverbial uh, elevator ride with President Biden, uh, and you get it's a tall building. You get two minutes, three minutes maximum. 
to explain to President Biden why he should send his Secretary of State here and why peace and stability in the South Caucasus should matter to the American people, to, to the president of the American people. What would you tell him? Well, this is a, a region of the world where Europe in particular uh, can uh, reduce its dependency on energy from uh, Russian and Iranian sources. So this is the, the one region of the world, as I like to call the, the Ganja Gap, where you can uh, transit goods and services east and west along the Eurasian landmass without hitting Russian or Iranian territory. And if you could expand the size of that, that gap to include Armenia, that would be even uh, more secure and better for Europe and America's interests. Uh, this is a region of the world where Russian influence is on the decline, but where Iran is trying to play more of a forceful role. And, and the U.S. has to be, uh, as, you know, as a global power, we have to be engaged and involved in the region. And, and so we have this great opportunity to do so. But if you want just one single reason why a U.S. Secretary of State should travel to Armenia or Azerbaijan, it's because it hasn't been done in more than a decade. And I think that uh -huh. probably alone is the most convincing argument. It is striking. I mean, the 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 victory of Azerbaijan in the war in 2020 is a is a is a tectonic shift in the region. Uh, and uh, but it is I, we do have to give the Biden administration credit. I think we really do um, that. As you mentioned, someone is connecting the dots. They clearly are, are seeing the strategic importance of the region, even if the policy isn't everything that we would like it to be. Yeah, before February 24th, it was kind of lip service from the State Department. And since February 24th of last year, uh, it, it's we've seen more action, but we just need to see more. Uh, on on that note, um, uh, Ambassador, let me let me go back to you and uh, help help me understand something that uh, I really don't understand, and that's um, well, I was uh, I was in Baku uh, um, at a meeting of a small group with uh, President Aliyev, uh, and he said, I think I'm quoting him directly here. I haven't checked the quote. He said something that really struck me. Um, he said, I'm in a negotiation with Moscow. I'm not I'm not I'm not in a negotiation with 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 the Yerevan. I'm in a negotiation with Moscow. Uh, but clearly Moscow is not the only player here. There is also there is of course Yerevan, but there's also in terms of the conveners of this discussion, there is also the EU, but also the United States. The United States is playing a role here. Um uh maybe not as um uh, not, not as um uh, aggressively as uh, as Luke Coffey and I would say myself as well would like to see, but they're playing a role here. Uh, and I'm trying to sort out in my own mind these two different channels, the American channel and the uh, and the and the Russian channel. how How does that look from Baku? Is it is it are you focused um, primarily on the uh, uh, on the Moscow channel? Um, and and just trying to keep the Americans, um, you know, uh, uh, interested and 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 helpful. Do you see them as rival channels? Is there a is is there is there a possibility of a win-win where 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 American and Russian interests are not one hundred percent opposed? Uh, how do you sort through this? Well, uh, thank you for this question. Uh, uh, well, strategic goal of Azerbaijan is to strike peace. Uh, with Armenia after decades of conflict and rivalry. So whoever is able to help us achieve this goal, uh, he's welcome. That's why I wouldn't necessarily qualify one channel of communication uh, being uh, confrontational with the other one. Uh, each of these interlocutors, they have their own uh, merits and also importance because if we, when we talk to, uh, uh, to Moscow, to Russia, we're talking to someone who has already their boots on the ground and we are talking to a neighbor who actually was the only one on the scene when the end was put to the second Karabakh war if you remember they have not been neither the European Union nor uh, United States in the region and it was uh, uh, you know uh, the ceasefire uh, that was put into place with the direct involvement of Putin himself uh, and of course, being on the ground and also having their, uh, you know, as they uh, say, vital national interests at stake in this region of South Caucasus, 
which is considered by many in Russia as a backyard, uh, then of course uh, you you cannot ignore this channel of communication because you know you need to resolve concrete issues. Uh, and uh, secondly, uh, of course Russia is present there with their peacekeeping contingent. Uh, this contingent entered uh, the territory of Azerbaijan uh, the, the day after the ceasefire was uh, signed. And I have to remind our viewers that Azerbaijan uh, was proud to be one of the few republics of the former Soviet Union, which was able at the time uh, to, uh, you know, to empty its, evacuate its territory from any foreign military presence. And of course, uh, this is not a military base we're talking about, but it's, it's a peacekeeping contingent and also which is bound by time. So basically, their term uh, comes to an end in 2025. But at the same time, they are the ones who have been entrusted with ensuring physical security of uh, ethnic uh, Armenian minority in Azerbaijan's Karabakh region. Now, when it comes to United States uh, role, uh, I, I hear what Luke is saying, because up until recently, uh, we couldn't uh, uh, speak about any visible uh, participation or role. But we are happy that today the situation uh, has changed and now we see involvement of this administration. Uh, and we know that the personally, Secretary Blinken is engaged in this with his team and also the White House uh, uh, National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan also is engaged. So there is a consensus in Washington that uh, there is an urgency uh, today to achieve uh, uh, peace. And also, I think one of the reasons why they do that, one of the reasons is that they do see a window of opportunity there uh, for all those reasons, which just uh, were elaborated by Luke, but also uh, because uh, two nations uh, have a chance to grasp this opportunity and to leave this hostility behind them and try to, uh, you know, to achieve some uh, alternatives, some better future for their peoples and uh, for future generations. So that's why uh, this window of opportunity needs to be seized. But in order for that to happen, you need two players or two parties here, Armenia and Azerbaijan, equally interested in pursuing the peace path. And here we have a problem because, uh, as I said at the very beginning, I'm not personally convinced uh, that uh, Armenia is fully uh, committed uh, to go the whole road, you know, and sometimes when we see that they try to uh, procrastinate, to uh, play with time there, when they are kind of trying to escape uh, attending meetings, you know, when they uh, come up with uh, some kind of suggestions to our draft peace agreement, uh, which is full of non-starters, then you uh, pose a question to yourself whether they are indeed uh, committed to this peace process or they are just in an imitation game. But again, going back to the tracks, uh, you mentioned also European Union, and it's important to note that uh, the uh, visible uh, and very welcome role of European Union started more than one year ago when uh, President of the European Council, Charles Michel, uh, visited the region. And here we come to the issue of visits, which is very important to get uh, first-hand information on how things are on the ground. And he actually confirmed uh, the willingness of the European Union after a long period of time to be involved in the role of facilitator between Armenia and Azerbaijan because EU has been considered both by Armenia and by Azerbaijan as an honest broker uh, with no hidden agenda and also with some kind of leverage of uh, economic and uh, investment kind of uh, tools which could uh, help both parties to get convinced in the eventual importance of getting to peace. So this trilateral format, which is made up by uh, President of the European Council, Charles Michel, uh, President of Azerbaijan, Ilham Aliyev, and Prime Minister of Armenia, Nikol Pashinyan, uh, worked well up until the moment when Armenia suddenly rejected uh, uh, to participate further. And there have been four summit meetings convened by Charles Michel in Brussels. And I think thanks to these meetings, uh, following things have, been, have become possible. First, I think that uh, both parties understood the importance of 
negotiating uh, practically the text of the peace agreement. And uh, because of these meetings, you know, two rounds of uh, negotiations took place in Geneva in October and in November in Washington, D.C. Uh, thanks to the overall, uh, the issue of delimitation of uh, international frontier between Armenia and Azerbaijan has become a second cluster for uh, negotiation. And, and thirdly, I think that the uh, European Union also expressed its willingness to help uh, in the issue of uh, reopening of transportation links in the region, which is a prerequisite for a normal uh, uh, normalization of life there, because there is a trilateral working group uh, formed with participation of this time Armenia, Azerbaijan and Russia, which is uh, tasked uh, with uh, doing all the necessary in order to reopen uh, all those closed uh, transportation links in the region in the first place between Armenia and Azerbaijan so that uh, in terms of connectivity, this region uh, gains even more in geoeconomic and geopolitical importance. And here again, uh, you were talking about you know, uh, connecting the dots. Uh, here we have a clear uh, linkage to the situation uh, created uh, in this region by the war between Russia and Ukraine, because uh, for obvious factors on the ground, namely the fact that Russia is under sanctions to the north and Iran is under sanctions to the south, the South Caucasus has gained in uh, geoeconomic importance as part of the Middle Corridor, uh, which basically connects Far East you know, with Western Europe. And uh, that also uh, has attracted a lot of interest from countries who would otherwise not be interested even to consider any trade or economic relations with South Caucasus. Now that changes. So uh, to, to, uh, to cut the long story short, I think all these tracks are important. And I think that uh, there, is, uh, there should not be any rivalry be the, uh, between them in our view. But of course, I mean, it's one thing when I'm telling that, but the reality sometimes is different. What we more care about is tangible results. So that's why I think in order not to miss this window of opportunity I was referring to earlier, we need both parties committed uh, to a time-bound and result-oriented negotiations that would allow uh, to uh, bridge the differences on the issues which are on the table. And what we are talking about uh, is uh, a possibility for both countries to sign a peace treaty, which would uh, elaborate basic principles or rules of behavior between the two nations. And that is very uh, easy because we have not invented those rules or principles. These are reciprocal uh, respect to each other's territorial integrity, uh, sovereignty, inviolability of their borders, uh, rejection of any territorial claims to each other now and in the future, uh, joint effort to delimitate and demarcate the international border between themselves, and finally, uh, do away with all the obstacles in order to reopen transportation links. All these five principles uh, were put on paper they were uh, actually presented to Armenia, and initially there was uh, no objection on the part of Yerevan. But again, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And when we go to uh, nitty-gritty of negotiations, then we see that you know there is a clear attempt by Armenia to stall. So you, uh, the the way you have described it, Azerbaijan put a draft peace agreement on the table, uh, and the uh, and the Armenians have come back with with an alternative draft or they have just uh raised obstacles to 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 points in the azerbaijani draft or how have oh, they how have they reacted? let me clarify that well first we kind of tested with them the uh, basic uh you know uh principles or pillars of this future agreement and we came up with this idea of five fundamental principles that i just uh, enumerated and when we saw that they have no objection to that, then we put those principles on paper and we uh, presented them with the first draft agreement, knowing that it will take a lot of effort and a lot of rounds for negotiations. And then Armenian side, after uh, you know, thinking about this paper for some time, uh, a couple of months maybe, 
they came back with some amendments to this initial Azerbaijani draft, which then was revised by Azerbaijan, but in the course of discussions. You know, here it's a very important point, Mike. You cannot uh, agree on a peace treaty, a document which is crucial for normalization of relations between two states by exchanging drafts by post. So mm -hmm. that's why diplomats uh, do their work. That's why negotiation teams are made up. And so that's why uh, we need uh, physical uh, talks as such. And that is what was uh, encouraged also by the United States government when uh, uh, Blair House was given to two delegations to spend all the time they need to bridge the differences over negotiating. Uh, table. So I think that uh, what we are witnessing right now, the recent tendency from Armenia is to provide us by post their revised version of our text, uh, escaping uh, uh, the meeting itself. So I don't think that's going to work. That's uh, maybe that is confirming my uh, perception or my feeling that, you know, what they try to show is that, well, you know, the ball is now in Azerbaijan's court. Uh, so it's, it's up to them to get back to us, but at the same time, we don't want to sit and to talk to them. I'm familiar with this game from years of watching the Israelis and the Palestinians, where the, the, the game is always to see who will get blamed for the breakdown, <laughs> for the breakdown in, in, uh, in, the, in, in the negotiations. So well, this uh, brings me to another analogy, which is more funny than that you, the one you mentioned is like, I remember when I was a kid and I was playing chess with someone who is in a remote town somewhere in the other corner of the Soviet Union, I would send uh, my next move by post. <laughs> 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 that game could take months. <laughs> right. And of course, you can have the help of your uh, of your of your friends and family. Um, That's true. So uh, so Luke, um, when when looking at this uh, um, at, at this at this state of play uh, uh, as as uh, the ambassador has has described it, um, how would you how would you advise the American government to proceed? Uh, uh, should we should we be thinking both from the strategic level and from the tactical level? Should we be thinking about this um, as a zero sum game with the Russians? Uh, or is there a possibility that we can actually come to a, to a mutually beneficial agreement from the American point of view, um, where uh, everyone's equities are um, are respected and an outcome of peace uh, that is beneficial to everyone is uh, is, is achieved? Um, and uh, if that's the case, uh, or if that's not the case, how would you how would you proceed tactically here? I wouldn't say it's a zero-sum game with Russia and the South Caucasus, especially in the context of uh, Ar Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, the reality uh, is that Russia is going to have some say or some role in any normalization and peace process. That doesn't mean that the United States and Russia are going to work hand-in-hand -hand to help facilitate this. But as Elchin said, there are different... Um, uh, you know, there are different centers, there are different tracks that are taking place. And some of these tracks will complement each other, some may not, uh, but the U.S. has to be present to, to have a role. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the EU track, for example, about putting the uh, civilian uh, monitoring mission uh, on the ground in Armenia is a positive development. In fact, uh, December of 2020, before the ink was even dried on the November uh, trilateral ceasefire agreement, I wrote an article where I proposed the EU do a similar thing, uh, but on both sides of the uh, state border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, so that way um, you could offer a, a, a roadmap for Russian peacekeeping forces to leave uh, Azerbaijan if you had that civilian monitoring mission on the ground to show transparency, to build confidence between all sides. That won't be a role for the United States. I think that could be a, a role for the international community or perhaps even, even the EU since they've had so much experience uh, dealing with this uh, in Georgia with the, the two occupied regions. Uh, but uh, we, we have to uh, be present uh, as, as it was discussed. You know, you can't just put things in post I would say you can't even do things by Zoom. Sometimes you have to lock people in a room and tell them to figure it out. 
and the U.S. should be playing that active role on the ground in the region. I and just the you know. So put, sorry, just to, yeah. uh, when you say that active role, so uh, I guess that means setting deadlines. Uh, the, the United States should be saying to the to to Yerevan and to Baku, okay. Uh, I think we should resolve issue X within the, within a month. Is that something like that? Is that how you would do it? Yeah, but we're we're probably not quite at that point where we have the clout or influence to do that because we're playing this. You know, we're like flirting with this issue. We haven't you know gone all the way, and so you know we need to get more involved to build confidence between uh, with the U.S. role in the region and on the uh, resolving this conflict, and then I think we can start. Uh, saying, okay, we need deadlines, we need concrete benchmarks. We do need that. I think the timing is important. And I think both sides, the Armenians and the Azerbaijanis, are, are, are crying out for more European and U.S. involvement in the, in the peace negotiations. For years, Russia's dominated this discussion to its benefit, you know, arming both sides, never really trying to resolving, never trying to fully resolve the conflict because it maximizes Russia's influence in the South Caucasus. They will have a role to play, but I don't think they'll actually have a, a final role. I think the final role will have to come from the Armenian and Azerbaijani people when they realize that you know they 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 can and they should live together peacefully. They can do business together. They can bring foreign direct investment to the region. And Mike, just think how many billions of dollars have been denied to the South Caucasus because of this ongoing conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And think how much Armenia has missed out on regional infrastructure projects because of this conflict. Armenia itself is the one that, economically speaking, is, is suffering the worst. And because of that, they have the biggest incentive to normalize with Azerbaijan, to become a full member of the uh, of the region, uh, of the community. Well, let oh, me yeah. uh, let me describe. Sorry, go, go ahead, Ambassador. I have something if I, I may just jump in on that, because I, I think I fully share what just Luke said. Uh, uh, it's not about the format of facilitators or or it's not about how many people are in the room, but it's about uh, a political will uh, of both parties in question uh, to resolve the difficulties and to be genuinely and sincerely engaged in the peace process. Because let me remind you, uh, there have been almost three decades of a situation when uh, three mediators were always together with Armenia and Azerbaijan in the same room. And I'm referring to the uh, currently almost defunct Minsk group of the OSCE. Uh, but irrespective of the uh, number of meetings or uh, no matter how they tried, uh, at the end of the day, uh, they failed basically because, you know, the underlying reasons of the conflict were not addressed. And I'm talking that the terror territorial claim by Armenia towards Azerbaijan, the illegal occupation of Azerbaijan's internationally recognized territories, uh, mass forceful displacement of almost one million of Azerbaijanis. These are factors which were not addressed during this mediation. And most importantly, Armenia was not interested at all uh, to uh, eliminate the consequences of this in order to get to the bottom of the problem. Now, again, today we see an opportunity because we think that, you know, the geopolitical situation in the region has changed. Yeah, we should not forget that the Second Karabakh War has brought about a completely new geopolitical realities on the ground. So today, uh, when we say that there is a window of opportunity, we say that because we know that it is in the interests of both Armenian and Azerbaijani people to leave uh, this uh, you know, rivalry behind to uh, uh, reject these uh, territorial claims of one towards another and try to tap on the uh, potential, which is enormous. And uh, again, here, I cannot agree more uh, uh, with Luke when he says that what basically Armenia has gained, uh, having kept under its uh, military control almost 20% of Azerbaijan's territory, territories for three decades. Uh, basically, it's not a territory it's, which involves gas. Basically, yeah. what they missed was the opportunity to get integrated economically in the region. They were completely isolated from all 
international important projects, including on critical infrastructure. Because if you remember, uh, I don't know, Luke, if you know, but initially one of the ideas Azerbaijan was floating, even when uh, the oil pipelines and gas pipelines were not constructed, was to suggest to Armenia that they could be part of it in case they relinquish territorial claims to Azerbaijan and they just benefit from regional cooperation and being a transit country, you know, getting billions of dollars, which basically went to Georgia, our strategic partner at France, because they have become the strategic, uh, uh, you know, kind of transit country. So that's why uh, today, even if we look at the region and we see this potential, we are convinced that it's a win-win situation for Armenia and for Azerbaijan if they overcome the existing difficulties. And it's not a victor's peace that Azerbaijan is trying to impose to Armenia, but we are enumerating all the advantages of them getting reconnected uh, to the region. And where finally South Caucasus will cease to be, to be only a geographical region, but finally can become a political region where neighbors care about each other and where they consider each other as good friends and neighbors which will allow to, uh, to lessen dependence of all these three countries on uh, bigger nations in the region. So um, when I, um, Luke, when I look at the Armenian reluctance uh, to accept uh, the principles um, that the ambassador has described, um, here's what I see. I, I want to I get your reaction. Do you agree with the picture I have in my head? Um, and and uh, and if not, how would you revise it? Um, uh, Prime Minister Pashinyan is playing for time, um, and and there's no other goal in mind that he has other than simply to play for time and to foil the um, the, the the negotiation process, um, and and there's no other goal than that because there can't be because on on the one hand, he knows everything that we just said. He probably agrees with it. Uh, 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 I would, I would guess. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball; can't see into his heart. Um, but, uh, but he understands that economically, the only way out is with um, uh, is is through normalization uh, with uh, with his neighbors. Uh, and right now, he's uh, he, he's incredibly dependent economically and militarily on Russia. He's got three military, three Russian military bases. The uh, the border security is is uh, his border security is guaranteed or even manned by the Russians. The airspace in in, in Armenia is controlled by the uh, uh, by the Russians. The commanding heights of the Armenian economy are uh, under the control or uh, strong influence of the um, uh, uh, of the Russians. He's got he's got um, uh, Russian fear. Of being supplanted by the EU, by the Europeans, by the um, uh, by 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 the Americans, working against um, normalization. He also has an Armenian diaspora, which you might be aware of here in yes. this country, Luke. Um, I've heard. They, <laughs> I know. I, I'm sure you've read about it on the internet. Uh, they <laughs> they have a. Uh, they have a a, um, a dashnak spirit uh, of uh, of uh, of jihadi opposition to any normalization with uh, with with Turkey and um, and Azerbaijan, uh, and uh, and they of course I mean the, for me the most striking statistic I ever heard about Armenia is that uh, uh, in 1993 they had three million people in Armenia. And today, they have three million people in 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 Armenia. You know, over over thirty years later, the population hasn't increased at all. What that means, of course, they didn't. Armenia didn't send all of its elderly people away to uh, 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 to uh, Marseille and Glendale uh, and Moscow. They sent the younger people uh, uh, away. So this is a this is a society that is really, uh, uh, really frozen in place because there's no opportunity there. So um, the uh, the what that means, though, unfortunately, is that this Dashnak spirit in the 
in the diaspora, which is much more wealthy than the than the than any of the independent economic elements in in Armenia itself, it becomes a factor in Prime Minister Pashinyan's thinking. So you add that up, uh, 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 the forces the forces against normalization are a lot of those entrenched uh, uh, Russian dominated elements in the military and economic establishment, the Dashnak spirit in the in the diaspora. And then also the 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 Karabakh network in Armenian politics, which which doesn't want to accept um, Azerbaijani sovereignty over Karabakh. And you add all that up. That's a very, very powerful element in Armenian in, in Armenian politics. And Pashinyan knows he knows that normalization is the way out. And I think in his heart of hearts, this is how I imagine the guy that this is what he wants to do. And the uh, the EU and the United States are the way out, but he's under the thumb of these uh, of these other elements. He can't he can't he can't accept Azerbaijan's sovereignty. He can't displace these elements, even though the, the 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 people he represents on the ground in Armenia would like to. And so all he does is play for time. That's my view of it. Uh, and, and I and I don't know how we square that circle. What's what's your view? I, I agree totally with that. I think he's under immense pressure. Um, also, I think the domestic political situation in Armenia that he has to deal with isn't conducive to him showing a strong leadership uh, on normalization with Azerbaijan. But then you add in all those other factors that you just mentioned. It makes it very challenging for him. But I'll add an additional factor that you didn't mention, Mike, and that is that is Iran. Uh, and I don't think this gets much uh, focus or attention. Uh, but when it comes to, for example, opening up these transport links in the region, Iran is dead against this. So they say so publicly, sometimes at the uh, at the highest levels. Uh, they uh, the uh, Iranian government just recently, um, last week I think, in fact, uh, said that they would not support this idea of of a of a transit corridor uh, going through new transit corridors in the region going through. Armenia. And of course, what we're talking about here for the, for the viewers who aren't uh, aware of this is the, the Zangazor Corridor uh, that was um, proposed. Well, not even proposed. I mean, I, ha I have it right here. You know, it, it was uh, it was written in the trilateral peace agreement in November of 2020. Uh, sorry, uh, Luke, that would, Luke, yeah, I, I want to interrupt you here just because uh, because I want to I want I know what's going to happen on Twitter when we post this on Twitter. It's that all of those Dashnak uh, people are going to write and say, "There's no, this is a lie. There's no mention of the Zangazor Corridor and the Trilateral Agreement." So I'm going to say, "It's true. It's true. They have a point. It doesn't say. It doesn't name it as the Zangazor Corridor, but it calls for a transport and economic corridor yeah. from from yeah, from Azerbaijan yeah. proper to Nakhchivan. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just want to. I just want to make that clear that this is. No, a, it, it very much calls for a, a transit corridor. In fact, um, you know, Article Nine uh, says, and I quote: "All economic and transport connections in the region shall be unblocked." The Republic of Armenia shall guarantee the security of transport connections between the western regions of the Republic of Azerbaijan and the Nakhchivan Autonomous Republic in order to arrange unobstructed movement of persons, vehicles, and cargo in both directions. It cannot be any clearer than that. Okay, and, so and, and Iran is dead against this, and I know that they're putting pressure on on Armenia uh, to to slow roll this and to block this. Iran is against it because it makes Iran less important in the region. Because of course, Azerbaijan right now is reliant on Iran for an air corridor to Nakhchivan, for ground transport to Nakhchivan, and for um, you know natural gas supplies using a pipe work, a pipeline network uh, through Iran to Nakhchivan. Well, that's a great that's a great point. Let, let, let's let's turn to the uh, ambassador on that, um, and of course, and that that'll allow me also to bring the, my 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 favorite uh, character here, uh, Ruben Vardanyan, back into the story, uh, because um, uh, ambassador, you mentioned that one of the uh, uh, as you as you would understand it, one of the missions of um, of uh, Mr. Vardanyan is to uh, obstruct any direct negotiations or direct relationship that could develop between the Azerbaijani authorities and the um, Armenian 
um, uh, and the Armenian residents in Hankendi and surrounding um, in surrounding areas. Um, and but uh, we've also heard a lot uh, from the Azerbaijani press about um, about uh, uh, the uh, Iranian support uh, uh, for, or let's say, I would say, infiltration, Iranian infiltration of Karabakh under the nose of the of the Russian peacekeepers um, uh, who are carrying out um, a military mission in in Karabakh. And could you could you discuss that a little bit? How uh, to what extent are the Iranians involved on the ground and how you understand their interests? And let me uh, ask one more part of this question, too. How do you understand the Russian or uh, Iranian uh, relationship in that regard? Well, basically, what I would like to say in this regard is that although uh, Armenia, by signing the trilateral uh, uh, statement on the secession of military hostilities in November 2020, seemingly uh, realized or accepted the new reality on the ground uh, after the Second Karabakh War. Ever since, however, Armenia has uh, misused uh, the Lachin Road uh, for all sorts of illegal activities, including uh, exporting from Karabakh to Armenia of plundered uh, Azerbaijani mineral resources for building up its military uh, capacity uh, and forces in Karabakh. We should not forget that today around 10,000 of regular troops of Armenian armed forces are still in Karabakh, which is against any logic of peace and which is against international law, which is also against four resolutions of the United Nations Security Council adopted back in 93 which basically demanded from Armenia to withdraw uh, completely and unconditionally all of their troops from Azerbaijan. Also, uh, as you mentioned, uh, this road has been used uh, uh, to infiltrate uh, third country nationals to uh, erect uh, new fortifications or bunkers and basically smuggle in landmines to continue with the mine terror against Azerbaijanis. So if you uh, put all those in one piece of paper, you would really understand what is the real intention of Armenia here. Uh, you may uh, think that in the heart of hearts, uh, Pashinyan may have good intentions, you know, and he realizes the importance of peace with Azerbaijan for the future of his country. But as I say, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, as a matter of fact, when you look at the actions, there is a huge abyss between what he declares and what uh, Armenia really does on the ground. So of course, I mean, Azerbaijan uh, has voiced its uh, uh, a strong uh, opposition and protest against uh, this. And of course, we will uh, not allow any uh, third parties in the region to uh, uh, aggravate uh, the situation or, or to pose additional risks or to, our, uh, to our security. And that's, of course, uh, what we uh, we have also the red, the only red line Azerbaijan has in this situation is uh, any infringements on its sovereignty and territorial integrity. But going back to uh, 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 the, the reactions to what, uh, you know, this Zangizur corridor may have, I think that it depends on how you uh, are watching at this, whether this is a glass half full or half empty. I think that everyone may benefit from this new uh, uh, roads or restored links between Armenia and Azerbaijan, because even Iran, uh, but also Russia, but also all the others, you know, they could benefit from it because, as I said, the middle corridor has become a new game changer in the region in terms of strategic uh, connectivity. If you allow me, uh, Mike, I just wanted to... Uh, 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 one to mention two points here. Uh, the one first, which was mentioned by Luke and EU's role and their desire to send a mission or their decision to send a second uh, observation mission to uh, the border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. He qualified it as a positive development. We basically, as Azerbaijan, had nothing uh, against it because first, it's being deployed in the sovereign territory of Armenia. Secondly, uh, what, what we insist, though, uh, we want this to be a complementing instrument to uh, promote peace in the region, but not the tool to freeze the situation on the ground. So this mission by itself, uh, without any uh, support of the overall EU track, would mm -hmm. not bring anything uh, good to this situation, because imagine 
if the EU-led facilitation process is undermined uh, again by Armenia and its allies, some of them uh, being part of the European Union, uh, if, the, if this platform is undermined, then what will happen, uh, you will have these 200 observers uh, of European Union who will be uh, deployed along the uh, you know, imagined border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Why imagine? Because it's not delimited. And then Armenians will feel safe not to do even uh, anything at all uh, in order to uh, promote the peace process, because uh, the sense of their security and stability will increase. And then, of course, it plays very well uh, in their playbook of uh, dragging uh, their leg you know, and, and procrastinating and avoiding any commitment or any, any, any move forward. So I think that EU mission as such, uh, it, it's not going to produce a miracle. It should go hand in hand. With the renew, uh, with the renewed effort by European Union to promote uh, its peace agenda. Par pardon me, uh, pardon me, yeah. Ambassador. I, um, I, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to disagree with my Hudson colleague um, here in public. But since you've given me an opportunity, I'm going to jump in here, and and I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to emphasize what you said, and I'm going to add, a, a, you're, you're too diplomatic to say it. Um, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to give my two cents, which is that. Uh, let's. We also have to realize that that mission is going to become a tool in the hands of uh, of uh, Macron in France, um, and that the French are playing an obstructive role. Um, and we have to. We have to. We 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 the United States should uh, should block that. And I think our our emphasis should always be. I'm sorry. I'm 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 coming out of my role here as moderator. I'm break. I'm breaking out of my role, and. Our, our, we should push the parties together to discuss directly instead of uh, offering new opportunities for the for the uh, for uh, Armenia to play, you know, mail it in through through this this post office or through that post office. OK, Luke, I'll argue with you later about this. But uh, let me let me go back to the ambassador since I just cut him yeah, off. You know, the final point which I wanted to make is related to uh, the uh, uh, well. I would say, destructive uh, role played by diaspora here. And uh, of course, they are very well established in California, in Paris, elsewhere. They're very far from uh, realities of the ground uh, in Armenia. And of course, they be uh, they want to be uh, uh, to behave more uh, royal than a king. But at the same time, the damage that they are uh, doing to their own uh, kinsmen in Armenia is huge. And I think that uh, what basically uh, uh, is viewed right now, they uh, reject out of hand any even hypothetical possibility for future peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan or between Armenia and Turkey. And I think that uh, that is uh, indeed something which uh, uh, I'm not opening uh, a secret here, but I think that the more Armenia uh, behaves as a state, uh, and uh, the more it shows its the ownership over its own fate, the better uh, will be it for the future of this nation. Because as you mentioned in the beginning, you know the over-dependence on external factors of this country puts into real question their ability to exist as a sovereign nation. And now with additional uh, regional factors going into the play, I think that that dependence will even increase. So I think that uh, the peace in the region between Armenia and Azerbaijan, it will also help Armenia to finally uh, feel itself much more sovereign and independent, or at least less, less independent on all the ex external uh, factors. And uh, one thing which I wanted also to add is uh, the way forward. I think what we need to do right now is not to get diverted uh, from this artificially created difficulties. Uh, and I, by the way, I mentioned the role of diaspora, but this whole hysteria around uh, the developments in the Lachin Road, which is being called like, I don't know, humanitarian disaster, catastrophe, or another genocide coming by, you know, this is all, you know, uh, a pure bluff. Because, I mean, uh, I think that what is true is that Azerbaijan basically wants to make sure that the lives and security and, uh, and safety of its citizens of Armenian origin is preserved. At the same time, Azerbaijan is not ready to go back to this business as usual model of using Lachin Road for all sorts of illegal uh, uh, 
uh, purposes, which is a pure uh, security risk to Azerbaijan. So we want to ensure the free movement of all uh, uh, humanitarian, commercial, and all that traffic of persons along the Lachin Road, so that uh, as it is envisaged in the trilateral statement, at the same time, we want this movement to be transparent. We want to install clear-cut you know, control mechanisms so that no landmines, no weapons, no um, Armenian military personnel, uh, no third country of, uh, you know, agents could infiltrate uh, that road so that we do not speak about peace on the one hand and we prepare for a third war on the other. You know, it, it occurs to me that Mr. Vardanyan, uh, who of course is the... Uh... Uh, has done much using his uh, contacts uh, uh, in, uh, in in the West um, to perpetuate the claim uh, or or to d disseminate the claim that there's a, a a humanitarian block. You know, there's a blockade of uh, uh, of Karabakh going on in the Lachin corridor. He just flew to Moscow and then flew back. So what 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 kind what kind of blockade what kind of blockade do we have if he can go out, go back and forth to Moscow? And uh, well, 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 just a point on that one. How can you call uh, what is happening there a blockade when since the twelfth of December, when the protests started, legitimate protests of eco activists of Azerbaijan? Uh, how can you call it a blockade when more than two thousand vehicles? have passed back and forth along the Lachin Road uh, by ICRC, International Red Cross, by Russian military contingent, which are all bringing, you know, humanitarian goods, you know, uh, medicaments, uh, which are allowed to uh, take care of all medical evacuations, uh, reunification of family members who got strangled somewhere. So, I mean, it is at least dishonest to claim that there is a blockade, you know, when there is an unimpeded access of this uh, ICRC and, Red, uh, and, and the uh, Russian military contingent to this territory. But of course, it is not business as usual. Azerbaijan will not allow anything which is illegal and which is not uh, uh, taken care of by the statement uh, signed by leaders of Armenia, Azerbaijan and Russia. And the final point, you know, what, what I have uh, learned today is that there is a new uh, call for persecution by Vartanian and his clique of all those uh, persons who were noticed as uh, open to cooperation with Azerbaijani central authorities. Well, I can name just one person, Mr. Balasanyan, who was one of those contact persons who basically was cooperative with Azerbaijani central authorities because we needed local uh, cooperation to, for example, to build a new Lachin road, uh, for example, to work about joint uh, utilization of water resources, for example, to think about the future project of construction of gas pipeline to this area. So these were concrete projects which testified to Azerbaijani government's determination to reintegrate Armenians in this region and not to make them leave. That is another uh, uh, falsehood which needs to be rejected. So if you are putting in prison all those who were known for uh, trying to get this rapprochement with Azerbaijan, of course, then your agenda is becoming even more. Well, they're, they're actually, when you say persecuting, they're actually, uh, uh, Vardanian is actually putting these people in prison? Yes, actually, they, they have now opened the criminal proceedings against uh, this concrete person. And I know that all the others have been either fired from their positions or uh, have been threatened not even to think about uh, re-engaging with Azerbaijan. Uh, amazing. So uh, I, uh, we're over time. We're going to end this here. There's so much more to talk about. I wanted to talk about the earthquake and its geopolitical effects and so on. Uh, but instead, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bring this to an end, but not without adding one more editorial comment uh, for those people who have stayed here to the end. And that's that if a character like Vardanyan it, it, it's it's amazing to me when I listen to my um, my fellow Americans talk about this issue. For the last uh, for the last uh, seven years, we've been uh, we've heard nothing in this country except uh, calls of uh, vigilance against Russian information operations and to understand the nefarious role that uh, that uh, Russia plays in uh, our politics and so on. 
And then here we have a guy who's parachuted in. This is me, you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. You don't have to sign on to this. But in my view, he's parachuted in by Moscow with a mission to obstruct the peace negotiations going on between Azerbaijan and Armenia, which are in the interest of the local population, in the interest of the South Caucasus as a whole, in the interest of Armenia and its prosperity, in the interest of the West to have all of this happen. Um, and and he is not recognized for what he is. And that is, if he was in South Ossetia or in Luhansk or Donetsk or um, uh, 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 or in, uh, in Moldova, we would understand exactly what his role is and exactly who he's serving. But in this case, I know all of our, our, our brains, um, all of the wiring in our brains gets crossed and we just see, uh, uh, you know, an, a, 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 uh, an independent and uh, and um, idealistic patriot who's trying to help his people. It's uh, it's really crazy. Okay, that's my uh, editorial comment. I won't ask you guys for to to respond to that. We're out of time. Uh, uh, Ambassador, thank you very much. You were very generous with your time, and uh, we learned a lot here. Luke, you were insightful uh, uh, as as always, and I look forward to the comments on Twitter uh, about all of your statements about the Zangazor, <laughs> the Zangazor Corridor. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.